We're going to read from Acts chapter 6, verse 1 following. That's Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should have to give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands upon them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of of an angel. How would you like to have an anointing, the anointing of an apostle, without having to be an apostle? Stay as you are, but have an anointing like an apostle. Would you like that? Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend, that there'll be no misinterpretation misunderstanding. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say what needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. I pray that I will be very, very simple, very, very clear, that this will be a life-changing word. And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about Stephen, who was one of the first deacons in the earliest church. Now, Stephen is what we today might call a layman. 
Now, there are those who object to the dichotomy between clergy and laymen because they point out that laymen or whatever all have a ministry, and it's a false distinction. And I know what they mean by that, but I still use the term because I know you will know what I mean. Simply this, we're talking about a man who was not an apostle. He had a job of serving tables. And he was among the first seven deacons. And how this came about was a result of a family squabble. Every family has their quarrels, misunderstandings, and so also in the church family. And uh, sadly, these things just happen. And it happened in the early church. In that case, there was a bit of a rivalry between the Greek-speaking Jews and the Hebrew-speaking Jews. Now, in case you didn't know this, there were two kinds of Jews in the ancient early church. Part of the church received Christ. Some were Greek-speaking. Some were Hebrew-speaking. And the Hebrew-speaking Jews felt they were a cut above the Greek-speaking Jews. And the Greek-speaking Jews thought the Hebrews were getting special attention. You know, this kind of rivalry exists all over the world. Take people that speak Spanish. If you're from Spain, you consider yourself probably, you don't say it, but you, you think you're a cut above Cubans or Mexicans or Argentinians because you are Spanish. I'll tell you what is worse than that. Just between you and me, the English. <laughs> oh my word, the English. The way they look down on those who they say don't speak proper English. You've got to be English to be truly elite. I'll never forget when we first came to England and I didn't know then what I know now. <laughs> well, how Brits feel about Americans. Uh, I don't have much longer to be here, so I'll get away with this. <laughs> as soon as I opened my mouth, the lady in W.H. Smith, I could tell, even I could tell, I wasn't particularly welcome. You see, the English feel that Americans, Canadians, Australians, just not quite up to what they are. The point is, this you've got all over the world, it exists, and it existed in the early church. Well, here's what happened. The apostles were now having to deal with these family quarrels and taking them away from preaching the gospel. And this was when the gospel was being preached and the church was having great success and a high level of the spirit and power in existence. The last thing that they needed is for the, those who were preaching the gospel now to have to attend to all these things. And so the 12 got together and they said, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Uh, brothers, cho choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, we will turn this responsibility over to them and give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. So, like it or not, there's a dichotomy right there. There were those who were 
called and known as deacons. The word deacon means servant. The Greek word uh, for deacon means to serve. And they waited on tables. That's the expression used. Uh, you know, in the gifts of the Spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, the least spectacular, arguably the most important, is the gift of helps. Do you know about the gift of helps? H-E-L-P-S. Or some translation, helping others. Well, that is what Stephen was. That's what these men were. They were helping others. And this was so that the gospel could be preached. Now, so you've got those that would help. They're those who preach the gospel. And as for those who preach the gospel, do you know what our task is? To give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's what I'm called to do. Gabriel, that's what you're called to do. That's where the men on the staff here at KT, what happened uh, to some of them? They were here in the first service. Oh, I guess they thought they'd get preached at and they just <laughs> didn't want to be, be seen. But let, let's take most of you. This sermon is for you. You're not preaching the gospel, you know, like full time. You're what would be called a layman. And I want you to know, this is for you, and here's why. I urge you to make Stephen your role model. We all have role models. I grew up, I was a New York Yankee fan, and my hero was Joe DiMaggio, baseball player for the New York Yankees. Not the best role model. He's better known for having married Marilyn Monroe. Uh, and uh, then I looked to Arthur Rubenstein, the great pianist, and I find out he didn't even believe in God. So uh, you want to find a role model that you want to be like. And I'm putting before you every single one of you. I'm preaching to you, all of you. Hannah, I'm preaching to you. Chris, I'm speaking to you. Are you listening to me? You look like you are. I got your attention. <laughs> Michelle, where are you? I'm preaching to you, girl. This is Colin's secretary. Boy, she needs special prayer. To be. <laughs> but all of you, every one of you, how would you like to have the kind of anointing Stephen had? Do you appreciate what goes on in this church? Are you aware that while I'm speaking, there are people downstairs preparing lunch for you? They're helping. Those that come up with the big hands and welcome you. Those at the desk as you walk in. Those who welcome you at the door. Those who work in the book room. All of these people, they have ministry. And whatever you are, whether you are a waitress, a, a lorry driver, a solicitor, an accountant, you can be like Stephen. This is the point. Now, what moves me, you see, is his anointing. And I wish I could have this kind of anointing. Uh, the apostles had this kind of an anointing. And yet here was a man who had the gift of helps. What do you know about it? Well, 
He had a vast knowledge of Scripture. He knew the Bible. Uh, and if you don't believe that, look at the seventh chapter of Acts. It is all what Stephen said. Now, the thing is, here's a man that God used powerfully. And when we think of laymen, you don't realize that God needs people like this and those who could be doing something that would give them more money. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my son, T.R. is here today. He's going with me to Mozambique. Uh, I wonder if you know, you probably wouldn't. Uh, he wouldn't have to work with me full time. He's a computer man. He could be in the technology industry making a lot more money than what I can pay him uh, from what my ministry is. Uh, but he's sacrificing all that. Or uh, since uh, Colin mentioned Louise, by the way, Louise is on her way to the airport to pick up our daughter, Melissa. Melissa is going to be with Louise this week while TR and I tonight leave for Mozambique. Louise, uh, yes, we just celebrated our 60th wedding anniversary. And she would want you to know that I married her when she was two years old. <laughs> you know, what you wouldn't know about Louise. Very few get to know her because I get the attention. I'm telling you, she's far more clever than I, has a higher IQ. She could have done a PhD in Shakespeare at Oxford. She's given all that up to be my wife. Oh, wasn't it? <laughs> T.R., we need to record this and play it for Louise later. <laughs> you can go on my website and, and, and see my tribute to Louise after, after 60 years. If she'll have a greater reward in heaven than I, Billy Graham's wife will have a greater reward than Billy Graham. And I'll tell you another person who will have a greater reward. I wonder if you've ever heard of T.W. Wilson. T.W. Wilson was called to preach. He is a very good preacher. He gave that up to carry Billy Graham's suitcase. The reason that the press never got a scandal on Billy Graham is because of T.W. Wilson who followed him wherever he went. Billy Graham never stayed in a hotel alone. T.W. was always there to make sure that no one could ever say anything. T.W. Wilson, I had him preach for me at Westminster Chapel, great preacher. He gave it all up just to serve Billy Graham. And there are some of you, you've given up things for God and what I want you to see is this kind of anointing that Stephen had comes to those who serve. Now, consider Stephen's vast knowledge of Scripture. How well do you know your Bible? That's the question. 
Do you know my wife Louise had a Bible reading plan before she ever met me. I had no idea she had this plan. That took her through the Bible in a year before I ever met her. And there are those of you who read your Bibles. You don't realize that this will be the source of anointing and God will use you. If you think you can have a great anointing apart from knowing God's Word, you are wrong. Would you like to get on good terms with the Holy Spirit? Let me ask, does anybody here want to be on good terms with the Holy Spirit? If so, can I see your hand? Look at that. Okay. I'll give you some inside information. Get to know this book. This is the Holy Spirit's greatest product. He wrote it. He has not changed his mind on what he said about it. And if you want a greater anointing, get to know his word so well. That was Stephen. You see, here's the thing. They didn't like Stephen, those who weren't Christians. Uh, in fact, they hated him so much, they made up stories. Uh, we're told that they got people who lied. They produced false witnesses who said that Stephen was against the temple. He was against the law. Said all these things. Did you know that that is what contributed to his anointing? I dare say, if I ask for a show of hands, I don't think I should on this one, but I dare say you have probably been lied about by someone. What do you do when you find out somebody has told a lie about you? What do you do? You say, oh, I want to straighten this out. Here's what I really said. And, and you, you write a bunch of letters or write whatever. Let me give you a secret. If they lie about you, take it with both hands. Don't try to change it. The key to your anointing may be that you keep quiet about it. Uh, I'll tell you, some of you already know this, but you can find out things about me on the internet that are just not true. <laughs> not true at all. Uh, ten years ago, Michael Eaton pleaded with me that he could write in and change what they said about me. I said, stop, no, don't do it. And two years ago, a man who knows the high-level man in Google said, look, RT, I can change that. Don't touch it. I wouldn't take anything to make myself look good because this way I get more anointing. And this is the thing. Stephen was a man they lied about and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked at him and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I don't think Stephen had a clue. I don't think he had a clue that this is what everybody saw. Well, the anointing. It comes to those not who are apostles, this kind of anointing, but those who have jobs to do, they serve tables and they do what they do so that the gospel can be preached. Here's the thing. He had vast knowledge of Scripture. He was fearless, utterly unafraid of people. Did you know there's a verse in Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 25, that says, 
The fear of man is a snare. Are you afraid of people? Are you afraid of what people will say about you? What you think they might do to you? Uh, you've heard me talk about our pilot lights at Westminster Chapel, out on the streets witnessing. When I first went to Westminster Chapel, I said something. I'd forgot that I said it until somebody reminded me. The person who reminded me was Bob George. After I'd been there just a few weeks, I said, how many of you members of Westminster Chapel have never led a soul to Christ? Well, Bob George said, I was shaken. I realized, here I am, 60 years old, brought up brethren. He's a good man. I love the brethren. They know their Bibles. And Mr. George knew his Bible. But he said, I felt so ashamed. He said, I've never led a soul to Christ. Well, let me ask you, members of Kensington Temple, and you that come here all the time, or if you've never been here before, have you led a soul to Jesus Christ personally? Well, when we started our pot at lights, I can tell you Mr. George was first on the street. It gave him what he was looking for. I talked to him 20 years later before I preached his funeral. And I asked him and he told me he'd led over 500 people to the Lord, made up for those years. You see, God can use that. He was not afraid of people. In fact, I never will forget, man said to him, you can go to hell. And Mr. George said, ah, oh, sir, but I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven and you can go with me. <laughs> Fearlessness. That was Stephen. He was unafraid. So we see several things today. First of all, wisdom and the Spirit. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, said he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Why does it say and wisdom? Have you ever noticed that? You would think, well, if he's got the Holy Spirit, you got wisdom. <laughs> Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There are people who are Spirit-filled, but can do stupid things. <laughs> Embarrassing things. Silly things. They, well, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Look, that just isn't enough. Look ye out among you, seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. If you want anointings, the anointing of Stephen, and you make Stephen your role model, wisdom. How important is wisdom to you? What is wisdom? Well, it's knowing the next thing to do. It's getting God's opinion. Did you know God has an opinion on everything? He does. Get his opinion. You say, well, I'm a little afraid. I'm afraid what he might think is not what I would think. I can tell you, but save you despair. It would save you heartache. Get God's opinion. Let me tell you how important wisdom is. Listen to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 4. 
Proverbs chapter 4, because this is what might motivate you to make Stephen your role model more than anything else. Proverbs 4, verse 5, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or swerve from them, do not forsake wisdom, for she will protect you, love her, she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get it. Get understanding. And esteem her. She will exalt you. Embrace her. She will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. This is not to apostles. This is not to those in so-called full-time Christian ministry preaching like I do. This is for you. Would you like to have it? Yes. I'm saying it comes down to this. What is wisdom? Well, I have to tell you, it has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with your IQ or how good you are at it, your job. You could be the greatest surgeon or physician in London and not have this. Tell you what, Proverbs tells us the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And after you read Proverbs chapter 4, what do you suppose chapter 5 says? It says, warning against adultery. Chapter 6, warning against adultery. Chapter 7, warning against the adulteress. You think, well, why all this in your face about sexual purity? <laughs> Very simple. Sexual purity and wisdom go together. Sexual promiscuity will not mix with wisdom. And so you're wanting wisdom. I have to tell you, this is why, this is why he says, though it costs you all you have. Could it be there's someone here today, you are in the middle of an affair. You're in it now. Or you're thinking about having an affair. How important is wisdom to you? I can tell you, I'll give you some advice. Stop it. Give it up. Break it off. Wisdom and the Spirit. This way you finish well. Witness. Uh, wisdom and the Spirit. Wonders and the Spirit. Listen to this. Verse 8 says, He was full of grace and power and did wonders and miraculous signs. Have you ever thought of going to Holland Park Road right over here and seeing a person in a wheelchair and just walk up to them and say, in Jesus' name, be healed? Would you like to do that? Stephen did it. He did it. He had that kind of wisdom. And it's my view, some of you will know this very well, that the next thing to happen on God's calendar is not the second coming but the awakening of the church just before the second coming. 
the cry in the middle of the night when all the church is awakened. And we know that the church will be made up of wise and foolish, wise and foolish, wise those who took oil with them in their vessels, foolish those who didn't take oil. And those were told in the last days who were wise and foolish, sadly, would you believe this, are asleep. According to Jesus, those in the last days in the church made up of wise and foolish are asleep. You say, well, R.T., I'm not asleep. Well, let me tell you, you don't know you were asleep until you wake up. <laughs> and when you're asleep, you do things in your dreams you wouldn't do if you were awake. And the church today has compromised. Look how far we've gone. We would not have dreamed that 20 years ago, high officials in the church condoning gay marriage. Yeah, it's all right, they said. They wouldn't have said it 20 years ago, but they do now. Did you know that in September, Franklin Graham, Billy's son, is coming to Manchester. And I think there were 100 pastors, vicars, church leaders on board to support the meeting. But they, they, there were casualties, people backing off because the gay and lesbian movement were against it. They hate Franklin Graham because they know what he believes, what he would preach. And causing some of the pastors and the vicars to say, I don't think I can support this anymore. They invited me to go up and preach to them. A few months ago since I've been over here, and uh, I urged those pastors. I said, throw your reputation to the wind. Back this man, he's gonna preach the gospel. It is what is needed more than anything in the world. But people are, are afraid of what will be said. The fear of man is a snare. I tell you, when Stephen preached, they were so mad at him, we're told, they gnashed their teeth at him. Did you ever have anybody so angry with you? And, mm, mm, mm. That is the way they were with Stephen. Now, he did wonders in the Spirit, but that's not all. Surprise, surprise, we have the Word and the Spirit. And by Word, we're talking about knowing your Bible. Here's the interesting thing. Stephen did not know that all the learning he did would one day come in very handy. He now is accused of speaking against the law, speaking against uh, the temple, and he's now called on the carpet. And Stephen has to speak. He doesn't have a manuscript. He do doesn't even have notes. I've got a few notes. He didn't have anything. And he just starts in. And read Acts chapter 7. See his vast knowledge of Scripture. You read the Bible, and you say, I don't remember much. I don't get anything out of it. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes down, Jesus said one of the things the Holy Spirit would do would be to remind you of what you've learned. You need to be reminded. The Holy Spirit will do that. You feel like you're getting nothing. The Holy Spirit will do it. And so now, Stephen is being reminded. And it is so wonderful. 
He speaks with authority. The key to the book of Acts chapter 7 is to see how the covenant people of God that obeyed the prophets honored God and those who were against the prophets. Let me put it this way. You have in the Old Testament the prophetic Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah. They spoke for God. But there were always those who opposed Moses, Samuel, Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And what we have here, Stephen's long exposition showing both movements. And here's the way he concluded. He said, you stiff-necked people, there's no fear, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? Now they've even killed, killed the, and predicted the coming of the righteous one. They killed him and you have betrayed him, you who received the law. And at this point, they had all they could take and they rushed upon him. But at that moment, we have the next thing I want you to see, the witness of the Spirit. Persecution can bring this kind of testimony. And we have in verses 54 following, they were furious at him, gnashed their teeth at him, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and, look at this, saw the glory of God. Can you imagine anything better than that? They gnashed their teeth at you. Mm! But you see the glory of God. Which would you rather have? It's worth it. It's worth it. He saw the glory of God. And that's not all. He says, look as if everybody else could see what he saw. It was so clear to him. He just said, look. And he says, I see Jesus. He's standing at the right hand of God. What a way to be welcomed into heaven. What a way to be welcomed. This can happen to you. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a so-called clergyman, pastor, bishop, vicar. You. This could happen to. And God is calling on you today. He's giving you the tap on the shoulder that you can be like this. Here's your role model. Someone who knows his Bible, unafraid of man, expects persecution. And God will let you see the glory. But there's one last thing. We see the secret. It's walking in the Spirit. And so, verses 59 and 60. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, listen to this. Everybody be careful that you hear this. He cries out, what would you have done if they're stoning you and you're dying? They're stoning you, and you're dying. They're stoning you, and you're dying. Would you say, God will get you. You better watch out. 
I'm an anointed man of God. He'll get you for this. Listen to him. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How could anybody do that? Whatever comes over a human being, because the most natural thing in the world is to want to defend yourself and to see that they get their comeuppance. Let me tell you, that's not your job. That's God's job. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And by the way, I just thought of something. Got an email this morning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known it. I mean, I knew the date, but somebody reminded me. Do you know what took place on this date many years ago? Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, based upon the verse, Vengeance is mine, their feet shall slide in due time. And great anointing came where the people were shaken or holding on to trees to keep from falling into hell. Such power. Now, sometimes it's the other way around. Instead of people holding on to trees, they gnash their teeth. You may have thought that Stephen was a failure that day. He lost his life, and the church mourned. But there was a man by the name of Saul who was watching the whole thing, and some believe he was orchestrating the whole thing, Saul of Tarsus. He saw it all. Later on, when he gives his testimony, it's in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. Saul says, I watched the martyrdom of Stephen. I never forgot it. It made such an impact on him. And it could be you're making an impact on people. You have no idea you're doing it. They're not going to come up and congratulate you and say you're marvelous. They'll kill you. And then years later, God deals with them. God dealt with Saul of Tarsus. And Saul admits, Jesus said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. In other words, he was struggling. No one would have known he's trying to kill Christians. This is an encouraging word. If you're trying to get somebody converted and they're hostile to the gospel, you say you need to know about Jesus. They don't want to know. You think you're getting nowhere. It's not over till it's over. Holy Spirit can deal with them. But here's the thing. It's because Stephen had been walking in the Spirit. That means you walk in forgiveness. You don't tell people what they did. You don't let them be afraid of you. You don't let them feel guilty. Instead of rubbing their noses in it, you let them save face. And that's not all. You pray for them. And when you pray for them, you ask God to bless them. Are you listening to me? This is the way forward. You know, people ask me once in a while, how come I've written all these books? They think it's my education, my brain. No, it, it's not at all. I think that the turning point of my life was one Sunday morning when I was at Westminster Chapel, right in the middle of the service, here comes a woman in and sits on the fourth from the back row, a woman who has done damage, not only to my ministry, but irreparable emotional damage to one of our children. 
When I saw her there, I lost it. I mean, it was horrible. I could not have preached that day. God just set me down. I had to pray for her. And when I just said, Lord, I pray for her. He said, that's not good enough. Ask me to bless her. And I said, well, bless her. He said, say it again. Bless her. Say it again. Bless her. Do you mean that? Yeah. And what if I actually bless her and answer your prayer? Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> I had to start saying, Lord, bless her. It killed me. I tell you now, I didn't like a bit of it, but I had to. Or I, God would have just said, you're out, Kendall. I began to pray. I had to put her on my prayer list to pray for her every day that God would bless her. And guess what? He answered that prayer. That woman thrives today. She thrives. I don't know whether when I get to heaven I can resist saying, I know why God blessed you. <laughs> what God will do for Stephen, he will do for you. You don't have to be an apostle. God will use you. Whether you're a, look, this lady doing sign language. I will embarrass her right now because she's going to have to sign what I'm doing. <laughs> Let's watch her. See there? She just told them. But she, she's gift of helps. It's the anointing. These, these deaf people, who knows what God will do with them? Fearlessness. Know your Bible. Be unashamed of the gospel. And what is better? than to say, I see Jesus. Look, look, do you see him? Well, no, they couldn't, but it was so real to him. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Try living like that. Who knows how God will use you. We need you in such a time as this. Don't count on the clergymen of Britain. It's a pretty sad lot, generally speaking. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. God will raise up people like you. I think I better stop. Heavenly Father, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I ask you to apply this word by your Holy Spirit, that it will bring great honor and glory to your name. May it make a difference in everyone here. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen.